Welcome to Making It Happen, a career in the performing arts where we discuss how to break into the performing arts industry for yourself or your child, teen, or young adult. Guests include artists, creatives, casting directors, musical directors, choreographers, agents, and managers, as well as parents of young professional actor, singer, dancers, all who are passionate and share my vision of helping talented individuals land professional representation and have successful careers in the arts. My name is Lisa Solak, and I am the CEO and founder of Making It Happen, a career in the performing arts, having helped hundreds of clients break into the business on stage, in films, television, commercial work, and more. This podcast is supplemental to my groundbreaking online courses, Professional Kids and Teens 101, a primer for parents, and Professional Biz 201 for young adults, college students, and graduates. For more information, check out all the ways that you can benefit from my courses, my programs, free weekly newsletter, and free guides. Go to lbctalent.com or go to lbctalent.thinkific.com. My guest today is John Manzari. Hey, John. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying this weather that we're having now. I love it yeah. because it's not, the humidity isn't here on the East Coast yet. So I'm very excited about that, actually. <laughs> I I'm, I'm really, really happy that you took time out of your day. I know how busy you are. You're in Funny Girl on Broadway, and you're doing so much other work that we're going to talk about as we go through the interview. Um, but I'm just really happy that you took the time to talk to me today and to share your journey with the listeners, because I think there's so much that you have to share that's going to be very worthwhile to them. And that would be whether it's parents who are looking for um, you know, insight as to whether their kids are ready or their teens are ready for something like this to, you know, kind of dive into the professional side or young adults who are struggling and trying to, you know, get to where you are and who want to be you, you know, so I think it's going to be really great. So let's start um, at the beginning. Like, when did you know that you wanted to perform? Were you really young? And did you just know that this was something that was just in your, you know, in the, every cell of your body? Or was it something that kind of came on slowly? What was the what was the beginning of the journey? So first of all, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for me, it, it kind of came in waves. You know, it, first of all, it feels really weird to talk about my experience because I feel like I'm not an authority on the matter but you know I just I'll just say whatever it is that comes to mind and whatever it is that I've done so you know I started dance when I was three and that happened because I was following my older sister in first so my sister went in first and then I went in and then my brother went in after us and then I was just kind of in it so from what I from what I can remember um, there's a difference between what I remember and like what people have told me, but I don't remember ever being like super gun ho about dance or, you know, the show business in general, whatever it came in waves. Right. And it was never really about, um, the gigs that I could do or the, the things that I could be in. It was excitement about the craft at different points in my life. And those were like some serious peaks and some serious valleys. Cause I was interested in like contemporary and when I was like 11 and 12, and then I was like getting better at that. But then I hated everything for a while. And then I started to get back into tap when I was like 14. And then 15, when I met Anthony Morgerato, actually I met him when I was 14, but he was like my teacher for one year when I was 15. And that was a huge, huge uh, boost to everything. Um, just because he's a monster and he's always been a monster. And I think just seeing someone of that caliber right in front of you and then willing to give so much, it's inspiring is corny, but it can yeah, light no. a spark. 
Yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift. And honestly, you know, it's funny that you mentioned this so early in the interview because so many of my clients, I, I drive home who your kid is being trained by is so important, right? That inspiration is going to come from someone who is as passionate as maybe you are, but that spark hasn't been lit yet. You know what I mean? Like it's all about who's teaching you, right? It's not unlike math class in, you know, in, in public school, you know, you get a math teacher who's really passionate about math and who's really great teacher. And you're going to maybe really fall in love with it. And, and I understand that completely. And I feel like there are people who they want to cut corners and maybe not drive to the space that's further away from home to train their child or not pay the extra money. To, to train their child with the top people. So how did you fall into his, you know, tutelage? Like, how did that happen? That's a Where did you find him? Because this is what parents ask. How do I find the people that my child needs? Yeah, I, again, I got super lucky. And I grew up in DC, not in the area. I grew up in DC proper, in Southwest. All of the studios where we went to were outside of the city. So most were in Maryland, one was in Virginia, but the ones where I got like a good amount of training I think laid the foundation. Like none of the studios were within 10 minutes of the house, which is, I was always shocked to find out that that was the case for other people. Mm-hmm. But the studio where I met Anthony with rush hour traffic, cause you know, coming from school and whatnot, sometimes it can be an hour and a half away. And then maybe like 45 minutes back home. For the vast majority of my life, the commute to and from dance was like a big part of the, of the journey, a part of, a part of the process. I also think it's worthwhile to mention that I was a studio hopper. I was an unintentional studio hopper. You know, what what, what choice does a 10-year-old have and what studio they're going to go to? You know, they're following orders from higher up. And I ended up going to this one studio in Maryland where Anthony had already come down and sent choreography. When I was 14, he set a production number um, or a part of a production number. Then the following year, the studio was going through a lot of changes. They were moving locations. They had lost a lot of students and just a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Anthony was coming down weekly from New York to Maryland to teach tap. So wow, I, I, that just, was a I gift. just really, really got lucky. You did. Um, and now I don't know if, you know, because I've had an experience where, you know, I, I see a student that I see potential in and that they really enjoy. It and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to like really try and push them a lot. Hopefully that was the case. I don't know why he was doing that. I also know he's a workaholic and he like really, really works his tush off. So yeah. Do you think you were very um, detail oriented? Because with tap dance, you need to be. Um, I think you have to be a very smart and intelligent person and willing to kind of dig deep into the detail and the minutia of, of it all. Were you like that when you were little? You know, I, I think it depended on the the time in my life because there were moments where I like really did not care. Like and to the point where it's difficult to discipline a kid that does not care about anything. Because what do you say like to a kid with their extracurricular? You know, if you don't do X, then I'll take away the extracurricular. Yeah. If yeah. you don't do Y, I'm going to take away this, that, and the third. And I was just like, I don't, I don't care. So in those moments, most likely not. But the the one moment that I vividly remember for whatever reason is piece that Anthony was choreographing he did this step and for whatever reason I could not do it and it wasn't in it wasn't a conscious choice but I just and I didn't realize I was doing it at the time it was only like years later I was like yeah remember that step and how I got it I just refused to stop practicing that one step like just utterly refused and it wasn't a conscious decision it was just like I just wanted to get it I mean I got it at the time I probably can't do it now but I had it at one point 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. So then what happened from there? Did you do comp dance at that point until you were out of high school? Did you start doing professional work at all when you were a minor or was that more of when you were an adult? Like, can you take us through that time frame? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, I forget what happened until you ask, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, as I said, I was a studio hopper. So in between going to each studio, we would pretty much take like unintentionally take like a year off and we would do professional work. So the first show that I remember doing was actually part of one of the competition studios and it was called Frosty's Follies. And we would go around and do these Christmas shows in the DC area uh, every Christmas. So that was like what I can remember. You know, I was really young at the time. Sure. I don't remember the show. I don't really remember anything. I just remember like one year I was Raggedy Andy and I was like a gingerbread man and whatever. Okay. Okay. So it was more holiday. Was it holiday like um, community service stuff or was this paid employment as a dancer? I think it may have been both. It may have been like a stipend for the studio and then like experience for the kids, Understood. which is fine when you're six. Yes, yes, <laughs> you know? yes. But beyond that, you know, the first gig that I remember getting paid for was a show called, uh, it was Debbie Allen's Brothers of the Night. And that was at the Kennedy Center. And I was like eight at the time. From then on, like we, every couple of years, we would, we being like the family would do a gig at the Kennedy Center. So I did, I did Brothers of the Night. I did, I was Fritz and Little Russian and ABT's Nutcracker at the Kennedy Center, which was odd. That was crazy. We did a couple of Washington Ballet Nutcrackers. We did uh, this show called Walking the Winds and Arabian Tale that was also at the Kennedy Center. So just like kind of sprinkled throughout. And then the first equity show that I did, which is where I met my mentor, Maurice Hines, was when I was, I had just turned 17 and we had taken an open class at the Duke Ellington School in DC. Now I did not go to Duke, but he was teaching an open class there. We went and we took a class, Leo and I, and he invited us to audition for what was Sophisticated Ladies. And that was at Arena Stage, but the venue was Lincoln Theater on U Street, which is a historic okay. neighborhood, historic theater. That's the neighborhood where Duke grew up. So there was like a lot wrapped into it. This was also one of those, like the year prior, I wanted to quit. And for whatever reason, <laughs> I didn't, you know, I had good teachers around me, not just like dance teachers, but also at my school. Yeah. I broke my leg right before I turned 16. And How did that I was happen? recovering from that. I was teaching a hip hop class and I did something and I didn't even like, I jumped and landed, but I didn't land on that leg. I landed on my left leg. And when I stepped back on the right leg, it broke. And I was like, okay. So anyway, there's that. And I was recovering from that. And I was just like, kind of going through normal, idiotic adolescent stuff. And I sure. just wanted to quit. And I had sure. a teacher, Desmond Beach, at my high school that was like, he was the only one that was like not trying to force me to continue to do it. But he was just like, you know, you can think about it. And you can think about like, you don't have to throw the shoes away. You can just like put them on the shelf and like let them collect dust for a little bit, like take a break. So he was pivotal in that. And anyway, so then moving forward, I booked a show and then I think that was another spark of inspiration, if you will, to sure. like to do it. Because Maurice was great. The opportunity was great. You know, Leo and I were dancing together every night. Leo's my brother. And that was just a crazy opportunity. And in the face of opportunities like that, you know what I mean? It kind of slaps you back into back into line. Yeah, well, you're you're mixed with, you know, with other people who are top of the industry and are passionate about the art form. And you that you can't help but just through osmosis absorb that. And that, and it was, it had to be a happy time. You had to have liked it or loved it to, to have that switch happen, no? Yeah, yeah. I, de I definitely remember feeling, actually feeling really good at that time. Cause you know, I was, 
17. I was a senior in high school and the show opened in the spring. So I was about to graduate. Like I didn't really have to, I was, I was never in school because like at that point, you know, we were rehearsing and then we were doing eight shows a week and I was already a senior and I was, I was kind of a terrible, not kind of, I was a terrible student. So my teachers were like, if you just do like X, Y, Z, then you'll be all right. Cause it's your mm-hmm. senior year, whatever. And you know, it was great. There was one week where the, the show was a hit. The show was a real hit from what I can remember. Again, my memory is kind of wonky with these kind of things, especially so far removed. This was back in like 2010. We had one week off because the show was extended, but the theater had already booked out a week of reservations for other random events. Sure. So in that week off, I had like two high school concerts, like finishing uh, the year. And then I had my graduation and then like, a party and then like went right back into the show and like that whole experience I was like all right this is kind of dope yeah yeah so let me go back and ask you this this opportunity and the opportunities at the Kennedy Center when you were young did that come through the studio you were working with or did it come from your parent or you guys you know, finding the audition. So if there was a parent sitting, listening to your story and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this is an amazing opportunity. How can I get my child to have those opportunities? Did they come through the studio? Did they come through some other, you know, avenue? Yeah, that's a great question. So my mom was the driving force behind all of it. I I have no idea how she found out about these auditions, but she was always the one to like push us into dance. And in the moments that I wanted to quit, she was always the reason that I did not. So she found out about these auditions on her own. And it was actually a point of contention with these studios at some point because, you know, just like it is with college at a certain point, they want you to either be there or out. Even though, you know, the reason that I'm studying with you is so that I can do this other thing on the outside. That was also part of the reason why we studio hopped too. Because it was just like, you know, if you're making me choose between potential work and being here, I got to go take the work which can work in certain circumstances if you're ready for it. But in other circumstances, it's like, you need to sit down and train. But no, anyway, it was my mom that was really finding all these things and pushing us. And then by the time we got to Sophisticated Ladies, there was an ad in the paper. I feel real old saying that. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Anyway, there, there was an ad in the paper. And um, my brother's best friend's mom had seen it. And at that point, like, everybody around us knew that we danced like the Manzari family is a family of dancers so like if you ask us to hang out no I gotta go to dance like if my mom is pulling up to the school everyone is like your mom is outside you have to go because you know getting outside of the city and rush hour traffic to get you know an hour outside of Maryland into Maryland is like no joke so anyway we had already like built that reputation up so whenever anybody saw anything about dance they were feeding it to us so my, again, my brother's best friend's mom had seen the ad, sent it to my mom. And for whatever reason, when my mom called me and told me about it, this was like the one time that I didn't resist whatever her, her <laughs> okay. suggestion was. Like she was just like, hey, uh, Maurice Hines is teaching this class at Duke Ellington. It was a jazz class too. And she was like, I think you should take it. And I was like, okay. No idea why, because I was so hardheaded. I was just resistant to everything, but- uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she was definitely the driving force. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it changed and it changed everything. Yeah, I think yeah. parents need to be. I think they need to be. I I'm very much an advocate for that. And a lot of my clients, I tell them that they need to be looking out for all the opportunities that are available. And the networking is huge. And it sounds like that 
was a big part of your journey, the network piece already. Yeah. Even, even know, through the end of high school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's super important to to remember because I don't know what I mean, I don't have kids and I don't know what the current climate is to try and raise kids uh, at, at present. But there comes a point where you have to recognize that your child does not know better. And that's fine. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, you shouldn't feel a certain type of way for, for asserting yourself as the adult, as the parent, and saying, no, you're crazy for thinking this. And I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but you are not existing in reality, or this is actually not good for you. And either I will not allow it, or I'm going to guide you in the right direction. You know what I mean? That's, that's not inherently negative. And kids need that structure, especially, you know, beyond a certain point, like the, the best teachers that I responded to weren't always the ones trying to coddle me. They were the ones that were firm. And you know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. Again, I don't know what, it, what it's like to be a parent, but if, uh, if I was allowed to do whatever I wanted, because, you know, I knew what was best for me, that would not have worked out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I am a huge advocate of that. And I've, I had a studio for 45 years, just recently closed the brick and mortar and spent, you know, the last 20 years I've been doing this, helping people bridge between having talented kids and teens and having talented young adults and also helping adults bridge from just being talented enough to getting into the right networks and obtaining professional representation. Like that's my space. But for years when I was with the studio and in that process, there were so many people, and even more recently, I think the parents want to just give the kids what they want in that moment instead of doing exactly what you just described. I think it's so important, and it's a huge, huge part of my courses, actually. It's all that kind of motivation and, and that, that drive that you kind of have to instill in them or you have to guide them or you have to, when there's a fork in the road, you have to say, no, this is why. And there's ways of doing that that isn't confrontational. You can have a conversation with a 10, 11, 12 year old and say, I'm not mom right now. I'm your manager <laughs> and I'm right, going, right. we're going right. to, we're going to have a business meeting about what yeah. it is that we need to do. You know, there's different ways of handling it. And I'm so glad that you said that because it's just, it's so important for the trajectory of any child who is talented enough. And my mom, because, you know, when Leo and I were first like working with Maurice a lot, I was 17 and Leo had just turned 15. And then even though, you know, later that year I had turned 18, Leo was still underage and my mom was still like managing the both of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were moments where we just, we had those conversations and it's like, yeah, like, you know, if, if you don't look out for your child, no one else will. Like no one, no one is going to try and protect your child for the sake of protecting your child. Yeah, or pushing absolutely. them in the right direction. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's, absolutely. that's the responsibility absolutely. of parents. So what happened after, after that show? Like, did you end up just, were other opportunities seeking you both out to perform or was it something that just organically happened through the, the mentors and the people you were training with? So after that, it was a little of both. So opportunities were kind of coming to the two of us and we were just saying yes to whatever was coming out. And then I wanted to go to school, so I went to Marymount, and I was only there for a year and a half, and then I dropped out. But while I was in school, I was still doing other gigs and working with Maurice a lot, which was great. That was, like, some of the best lessons came from that. Because working with Maurice, you know, it was never 
about the dance itself. It was never like, oh, let's get into the studio and I'll teach you some steps. It was always about everything else, everything else surrounding it. It was about how you how you behave in the in the rehearsal space, how you uh, deal with producers or stage managers or just management in general, um, what you do on the stage outside of the shoe, you know what I mean? Like how you care for your audience and how you treat them with respect because they don't have to be there. And, you know, if you go out there and just do whatever you want without thinking about how you treat them and what the audience wants and needs, then you might as well be in a rehearsal studio. So mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing that he said. So anyway, dropped out of Marymount, was working with Maurice. We did a show called Tapping Through Life, which was about Maurice's life. We mm -hmm. went from, uh, we did a couple of sit downs in like four cities um, then some other random work here and there. I used to teach a lot. So that was like when I was 18, I dropped out of Marymount when I was 19 or 20. Then about a year later, we were doing Tapping Through Life. That was in 2013. That took us through part of 2014. Leo and I did a couple of residencies at some other places in like that summer. And then I started working with other tap dancers here in the city. And that was like with Cartier Williams and Luke Hickey. Luke Hickey is one of my great friends a monster dancer, a monster filmmaker, yes. photographer, like, yes. I didn't, like he has I didn't know that, that you worked, how long, was that, how old were you when you started working with him? Like 21, 22. Okay, okay, that's amazing. Yeah, and he, you know, he had, like, just come to the city, you know what I mean? So that was, like, probably one of the first times that I was, like, really, really working on the craft of tap dance, mm -hmm. sure. and, like, as an adult, you know what I'm saying? Um, through working with various people and just kind of like being around and trying to get good, you know, people, I guess, took note. Um, so that was about in 2015 and into 2016. And also at the end of 2015, like December, we opened Tap It Through Life Off-Broadway at New World Stages. Oh, I didn't so know that. So that was okay. a long process. Like, you know, we started, we did the first trial run, if you will, in like mm -hmm. spring 2013. And then we ended up starting that tour with those sit downs in the fall of 2013 into the following year. I was working with Cartier and Luke for about a year after that. Then we did Tap It Through Life off-Broadway. And then from there, more, um, more gigs started to come in after that. And then I hit the brakes. And I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm enjoying this. Like, there, there was just a point where the payoff from all of the work that was being put in was not worth it to me. And I was like, if I'm going to work really, really hard at something, I'd rather work towards getting my degree and what ended up being a finance degree. So I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So I, I hit the brakes and I was still kind of performing here and there, but I wasn't really like focused, if you will. When I hear people say like, oh, you're, you're, you're focused and you're dedicated, it kind of makes me laugh because the vast majority of my life so far has just been me in flux for no reason, just like a complete lack of focus. And I think because of that, I'm just like, now I'm like, there's no time to waste. <laughs> yeah, but you know what though? It seems as though even during those break times, you were focused on whatever it was that you needed. You needed the break. Yeah. You can look at it that way. You may not have had the inspiration to work as hard during those performance work sections of your life if you hadn't mm -hmm. taken the breaks. There's that kind of space of it too. So the focus yeah. now is laser focused on performance, which we'll get to. So, mm -hmm. um, so do you? So you went back to school? Is that what you're saying? You went back to school? Yeah, I went back to 
I went through the CUNY system. So I went to BMCC, okay. which is a community yeah. college. And then I went to Baruch, which is um, on the some uh, 23rd and Lex. And I got my finance degree. And I was just kind of like cramming it in. So we, after we did Off-Broadway, we did, we did one leg of it in Philly. And while I was in Philly, I was only taking one course per semester because I wanted to make sure I could get through the math because I didn't want to just like get a degree in anything. I was like, no, I want a finance degree. And if I can't get through the math, then I can't get the degree. So then I'll just drop out. But I got through the math. And then once I did that, I was just like, all right. And I was taking like up to six courses, you know, a semester and like three in the summer and then just kind of slamming it out. And did you perform during that time or did you take a break from the performance? I mean, were the tap shoes on a shelf? No way. No, no, no. I was performing. I was teaching okay. a lot too. I was choreographing and like Luke's show, A Little Old, A Little New, was at Birdland. So like I, I did that. I, what's funny is I almost said no to it. But for whatever reason, when he asked me, like, I was just like, my gut said no, but I was just like, all right, like, yeah, I'll do it. And it was one of the greatest experiences. Like, Luke is fantastic. And Andre Manishi, who is now in Japan, like, he was he was super young at the time. He was, like, 16 or something. Like, he was he's super dope. And I was just, like, surrounded by good people. And Luke, like, was really great with uh, how he was organized and putting on a show. So that also, you know, helped me realize that, you know, if there's chaos on a project, that's, that's not uh, reflective of the business at large or what the craft can be. And I allowed experiences with various people early on to poison my perception of what this could be. And that was a gigantic mistake. And I thank Luke all the time for, you know, highlighting that it doesn't have to be like that. You know what I mean? Like rehearsals were succinct. The the work was good. It was fun. Payment came in on time. Like everything was exactly as it was supposed to be. And it wasn't plagued with idiocy. And that was really, really refreshing. So mm -hmm. you that, know was, that was also a big realization. I am so thrilled that you mentioned that because that is also a running thread that I'm hearing from various guests about it isn't what you think it is if you've had that experience, because I feel at the very top of the industry where you're working with people who are as passionate and who are organized and all the things you just mentioned, it is a wonderful, wonderful, enlightening soul, like, you know, forming. I just, it, everything about being a part of it is so magical when you're with top people. And yeah. You just have to get to that point because even <laughs> I even hear from people that, you know, their high school musical theater director was so difficult and didn't really know what they were doing and were doing the best job they could because maybe they were, a you know, an English teacher, a math teacher that were, you know, kind of, you know, forced into having to having to run a musical theater program and didn't know anything about it and were struggling and they kind of don't have that, you know, understanding and it comes out in a negative way to the kids and then they get into the professional setting and they're like, oh, this is what this is. This is something beautiful and amazing. So interesting that, that you mentioned it. I'm so glad. It's universal, man. It's so it universal. It is, it is, it is. Well, you know what? I think you have to, as an artist, I think you have to be a little bit of a Renaissance person. You know, you have to have that left and right brain both working to be able to be a producer, a director, a choreographer, and put on a show. There's so much of that back room stuff, the paper pushing and all of that, and the planning that has to be clean and, like you're saying, succinct so that everything runs smoothly and everything's going right. And certainly when you have money behind a project and there's different people doing those jobs, 
they should and usually do all happen in the right way. But if there's only one or two people running the project because they're trying to get their art off the ground, it doesn't always happen that way. So yes, yeah. that's a wonderful point. I love that. I absolutely love that. So um, let's pivot for a second. You're mm -hmm. also a singer and an actor. We've been talking about the tap dance part of it. Um, so were you always, did you always do the vocals? Was that always part of it from when you were younger or did that happen later? I would sing if necessary. You know, like that did, I was like in the acapella group in high school my senior year and the, like mm -hmm. the jazz band my senior year. And obviously I had to sing for sophisticated ladies. And I like, I wouldn't have called myself a singer, but I mean, I still don't call myself a singer, but I'm just like someone that sings. Yeah, well, you know what, I think I ask, I always ask all the clients, especially my young adult clients that are either in college or they are like struggling after college, trying to find their way, you know, into the New York market, into the Broadway space. And, you know, how do you identify, right? We all identify as either an actor who sings or a dancer who sings and acts or, you know what I mean? Like there's that, what is it that, you, you know, you identify, obviously, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but as a tap dancer. Um, yeah, yeah. So secondary to that, would that be singing or acting? Uh, singing, and then okay. acting is like a distant, distant <laughs> third. Okay. So here, here's another thing. So when I was, uh, it, it was back in like 2015, I ended up doing um, George Faison, who was the original choreographer of The Wiz, was doing um, the a 40th anniversary concert version of it for Summer Stage, and I ended up being the Tin Man in that. It was crazy, and like obviously a huge honor to be working with. I remember him like encouraging me to sing and like really pushing me to do so. And again, I didn't work on it. Like I sang for the gig, but then I like, I tried to work on it for a little bit and then I like gave it up and then like tried again, you know, just a lack of focus and a lack of commitment to it. So then I, I did a 42nd Street that Jared Grimes was choreographing in Minnesota. And then I had to sing for that. But again, I wasn't like training and I was like, hopefully like, I was in the audition like, I hope this is the correct sheet music and I hope I don't have to have a 16 bar cut because I don't know what the cut is, but I'm like, I'm gonna try and sing it like one of those. Anyway, book the gig and then, you know, COVID happens. And then coming out of COVID in 2021, I had the opportunity to do my own show uh, at the Delaware Theater Company. And it was just, they were doing a concert series outside because that's what everyone was doing at the time. And it was a great series and they had asked me to do it. So I brought in a trio. That was the first time I had done a show like that. And I had in, had kind of envisioned doing something like that, like right before COVID happened, because working, again, working with people that are really great, that's actually how I met Kurt, was doing that show. And then we were led by Jared, who is a monster. So yes. I, like that was another huge, huge spark that, you know, like we were just in the studio shedding hard. Like if, if half hour was at 7.30, we got there at like 4.30 and we were hitting the entire time and then we would do the show. So we were like really, really dedicated to it. And it was only like a, a seven week process, four weeks of rehearsal, three weeks of the show. But we were just in there like really, really going after it. And a huge part of that is because of the energies in the room. I met a lot of my close friends on that gig and then obviously being led by Jared. And I was saying this for some reason. I think because like at the time, like that's when I was like, oh, maybe I could, maybe I could like really do this. Like maybe I should be committed to this and do this. And the only reason I was able to do that show was because it was in the summer. And that was between my, my second to last and my final semester at college. So like in between that gap, 
I was like, oh, I could do this. Like I should, I should really, really, really do this. So anyway, ended up doing this show and Anthony Morgerado again, he was in North Carolina. He drove up to Delaware to see the show on, I think it was like that Monday or Tuesday and went and drove that night back down to South Carolina for the, his next gig. So like, he's that type of dude. And he's been yeah. like, I, I, I work with the percentage of inspiration or like the whole reason that I do anything, but he's somewhere between like 85 and 95% of the reason that I've gotten anywhere in, in this business, in this life, whatever, just because like when it came to the dance, like he was the one that did that. And then I, and then I say like, he came to the show and I had decided to sing in the show. Cause I was like, you know, COVID happened, you know, why, what are we waiting on? So let's just have, yeah. Yeah. let's yeah. just do it. And I sang, he was like, hey, like, it's not bad, but like, you should train. And then if you train, like, you could, you could potentially really do this. So then the next week after we closed, I started taking vocal lessons. And then like a month or two later is when I booked Funny Girl. But the only reason that I was able to book that was because, you know, I was like trying to take vocal lessons for a little while. You know, again, Anthony, Anthony lit that flame. So that's why I say like dance is is very far out in front and then singing is like very new. And I'm just, regardless of what I think of it, because I, I don't, I don't really like anything that I do. I'm just trying to do it and not judge it because that judgment has kind of uh, kept me from doing anything. So yeah, it can, yeah, like, it can, it can, yeah, of course, if you're judging yourself, it, it can stifle you. Yeah. Right? It's that, but that perfection that's, paralysis. Yes. It's like, yeah. ugh. Don't you think, though, that we as artists are constantly, we're constantly trying to be better. And so there's yeah. that kind of fine line between we don't want to say, oh, I was great. Because if you say I was great, where is the where is the room for improvement? Where is the room to get better? Do you know what I mean? So there's this kind of play and juxtaposition of of are we, you know, in the performance setting, you obviously have to have that confidence to go out there and do it. But in between, there's kind of that, okay, training, I need to train, I'm really not where I want to be yet. It's this very strange flux that we all deal with as artists, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I am so, I just love Anthony. Um, and I really think that he is a special human just from seeing him and like kind of from afar. And I'm so intrigued by the fact that he really has been your main mentor based on what you just said right yeah, he's really yeah. been the inspiration of all of it which is just incredible and I think what you said too and I'm glad that you're being honest about the vocal piece of it because there are a lot of people out there especially adults who maybe lean into the dance whether that's contemporary dance or musical theater tap whatever it is and they think that they're not good enough and they think that they can't or they shouldn't or they, you know, shouldn't say yes or they shouldn't push into a, you know, a sector of this industry because they don't have the vocal piece. Or maybe there's people in their ear telling them that. And that is most definitely not the case. And and you're an attestment to that. You know, you are the person to kind of say no you can still do this <laughs> and you can yeah. make this happen. I mean, obviously you have to be able to stay on pitch and you have to be able to carry a tune. You can't be tone deaf, but certainly right. you did all of that without any formal training. When you think there are people who are taking private instruction voice from when they're very young, you know, all through college and, and all of it and continue to do that. Um, and here you are on Broadway and funny girl. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, I tell people all the, like, I know I, I come back to the timeline a lot, but, I think the reason I'm doing this is because the time 
the timeline is the only thing linear about any of this because I feel like I've just been drifting the entire time, like just for whatever it is. When people say like, oh, you're you're on Broadway and you're doing these gigs and you're singing and whatnot, I'm telling like, it just seems completely random that this has happened. And if it can happen for me, it can happen for anybody. Like it can happen for anybody for real because I was just kind of drifting. And I tell people all the time, especially dancers, you know, like dancers are my people. And I tell them, you don't have to be Whitney Houston. You don't have to be Pavarotti. You know what I mean? Like just Mm-hmm. sing a song and like yeah yeah <laughs> that's what i tell i tell people the same thing all you need is one song you need one yeah. song that you can sing at an audition that's all you need you don't exactly yeah. you do not have to be whitney houston <laughs> that's crazy i mean you're saying you were floating and things are coming your way and whatever but that's the nature of of the beast that's the nature of this industry i think you know you're in one gig and you're wondering what the next one's going to be or you have that in between space between things that you didn't pre-plan that you fit something in i mean i think that's typical of the industry it's typical of this business and and you have to kind of be a little bit of a you know you, you can't be so worried about having a pre-planned year because you don't know what's going to come which is exciting yeah. It's adventurous, yeah. right? To a certain degree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you like working don't... with, I worked with Aya Deli a lot. I mean, I, I feel like I'm still working with her because I'm in the show that she did the tab choreography mm-hmm. for. So, but you know, like prior to Funny Girl, I was working with her um, on and off for periods of time. And like all of that is also completely random. Like Luke is the one that told Ayo. I, well, actually, I had met her years ago because her and Anthony are cool. Mm-hmm. And like they've known each other and worked together for many years. She had yeah. came to see Tapping Through Life, come to see Tapping Through Life uh, here in New York. But then, like two, three years later, uh, Luke was like, Oh, you should get John in the room. And I was just like in the room ah. with her and a couple other tap dancers in fall 2019. COVID hits, nothing's happening. And then at the beginning of 2021, New York State was sponsoring this New York Pops Up thing, this event that was like these pop up things all over the city I remember that and she was doing that and I got a call from her and I was like oh hell yeah like I'll do that and like that led to everything else that has been happening like the only reason that I'm that I went in for funny girl and that I had an end to it was because of Aya Deli. I'm not a theater kid so I don't really know that history or anything like that, sure, that but when world. she said mm-hmm. it I was like hell yeah I'll, I'll go in and mm-hmm. you know she's been a, a huge a huge push in those directions as well and that as you're saying is completely random. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and in between there, you you were you were also in Chasing Magic, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, and that was in between. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Idelli because I was going to bring that up and ask you about that because I think right now, you know, she obviously is an icon in the industry right now, and she's at the forefront of the tap industry. And also, I feel like in the in the public eye, you know, she's really pushing tap dance out there and has all these opportunities to do so. But what is it like for someone who's a tap dancer, um, you know, an up and coming tap dancer who's looking at her on the cover of magazines and articles everywhere and all the work that she's doing? What is it really like working for her, like specifically, like in the rehearsal room and, and in the performance space, maybe, you know, dress rehearsals? Like, what is that like? So my first experience with her was through watching her on YouTube. And what, what was, <laughs> I used to do this step in Sophisticated Ladies during the <laughs> duet that my brother and I did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like, this is this is my thing. Like, I love this step. Like, this is going to be my thing. And I'm watching this video of her that I had already seen before, but I'm, like, revisiting it, like, a year later. And I was like, that's the exact step that I've been doing. And I was so pissed. And I was just, like, going from, like, 
accidentally stealing her step and recognizing <laughs> that I stole her step to, you know, over 10 years later, working with her has been kind of crazy. And, you know, she's, um, she's very uh, chill. Like she's, she wants the work to be good, but she's not like one of those choreographers like screaming and yelling and like trying to like abuse you in the room, I guess, which is, mm -hmm. which was common mm -hmm. of a certain era. So she's super chill. She's given me a ton of opportunities. So in that sense, she's been like very, very loyal as well. Like mm -hmm. if, if you show up for her, then she'll show up for you. Mm -hmm. that's that's how it, I love that's that. how it was for all of that time leading up yes. to funny girl you know what I'm saying I love it mm -hmm. so, I love that yeah and I she's think been, she... you know she's been around for a while you know what I mean like she's mm -hmm. she's doing this so this again for her it's not coming out of nowhere people think that it does I think people out there you know just the general public think that that happens they don't understand what's behind it they don't understand the years behind it because they don't see that that's not in the public right. eye right so they think it just auto automatically happens I think that's the same for actors you know, television, film actors, Broadway people, they think that they just kind of stepped into the role. And certainly sometimes that happens, you know, it's it's very few and far between that that happens. But um, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes in, you know, ahead of that. So the work that you've put in recently, you're doing your own shows. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So it's been nice to be a part of other people's things and see how they do it and in various spaces. Like I just did mm -hmm. a couple of uh, uh, shows. It's, it, the show's called Let's Misbehave and it's a Cole Porter concert created mm -hmm. by Tony Desaire. And it's Tony, Bria Sconberg, and then me. And we were uh, touring with some symphonies over the past couple of months. So like doing that feels completely different than like doing the stuff that I was doing with um, like my trio or quartet. Oh, Not okay. my trio or quartet, but with a trio or okay. quartet. Okay. Um, so I did, I did Birdland last year. I did Little Island last year. I've been fortunate to be asked to do like guest appearances on certain things. Um, so then now, like it is a tremendous privilege to be where I am right now. And I've rec I, I really do recognize it every day. I know I complain a lot, a lot of times in jest because um, it is funny, mm -hmm. but yeah. I do recognize that this is a, like a tremendous privilege to be able to do these things. So like the relative structure of Funny Girl and then being able to go to like the symphony gigs and then I'm pretty much just doing whatever I want to. Like, as long as I sing the lyrics, I can do whatever I want to. I can wear what I want. I can do the steps that I want. I can phrase how I want, like whatever. And mm -hmm. then also the shows that I do with a trio or a quartet, I'm doing three dates at Little Island in the summer. And then I'm doing one date in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, also in July. And that's just like more of a, I'm leading the charge in that type of situation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's been really cool so like you're mm -hmm. i'm able to to take you know my experiences being led to inform you know being the person out front yeah yeah and so with those performances how did you obtain those were people coming to you and recognizing your body of work and saying we want you to come and do this or was it something that you're being an entrepreneur and you're handling the business side of it and you're putting out you know, a one sheet and an email to these people who run these programs to say, I want to do this. And here's my, here's my project. Like, how is that, how is that space working for you? Um, I think that would be really interesting for people who are young artists who've just come to New York, who have something to say artistically, like how right, right. has that transpired? So the first show that I did in New York was at Birdland and I had been to Birdland over the years because they have this event called cast party which is every monday night and jim caruso is the host and i love jim 
like he's become a great friend over the years. I think I first went there in like 2014, 2015. So he's not new to me. Luke's show was there. Like, you know, we have, we have a rapport mm-hmm. and it was um, winter 2021 where I came to him and um, I was, I told him that I was interested in doing a show and he was like, Oh yeah, absolutely. So then I did that. And then I think from there kind of just showing that I was able to do it, capable of doing it other opportunities started to come in. Um, mm-hmm. So I did two other shows in the city that year and both of those were invitations. And then all of the ones this year, the three at Little Island, I was just invited back. Birdland, I reached out to Jim because we he, he was like, we got to do this again. And then it just never connected. And mm-hmm. that's going to be in October. And then the one in Florida, I had a connection with her already because she runs the, uh, her name is Susie Dodge and she runs the Amelia Island Dance Festival. A mm-hmm. great dance festival in uh, on Amelia Island, which is uh, east of Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Great area, mm-hmm. great people. She knows how to treat her artists and therefore the audience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's fantastic, and she was like, "I want to get your show here, and you like, but I need something to present to the board." Mm-hmm. And then you know that's when you type out your your budget and your your description and your needs, your your tech writer and all that stuff. Than being able to send that. So now that that is done, like it's kind of like if once you do it once, you can just kind of copy and paste. So yeah. my my yeah, goal is absolutely. to be able to copy and paste that and kind of get that into more places. But mm-hmm, Susie mm-hmm. was the the driving force behind getting it down there. Mm-hmm, Again, I've been mm-hmm. fortunate. Like I've you know I've had people looking out, but I think I've also just tried to you know my goal. I'm not saying I'm I'm anywhere near this goal, but there's a clip of Steve Martin where he's talking about get so good that you can't be ignored. I'll never reach that. Most of us will never reach that. But if we're constantly working towards that, like it may, it may end up working out for us. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I'm just trying to, yeah. trying to do. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting that you're, as I said in the beginning, so laser focused, you know, and so um, committed and passionate about what you're doing, which is to be commended because it seems as though you have created and curated and navigated this entire industry on your own. Let's talk about representation you didn't need it (laughs) like this is something that most people are looking for you know like in the industry the goal for most artists uh actor singer dancers whichever whatever all of it to find an agent or a manager to help get them in the right rooms and you were able to do this on your own which is huge i am now but that is very very new again this is a privilege and a blessing and everything like i just have to keep saying this because I don't want people to think that it's like just me making this stuff happen. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put myself forward into these situations. The stars have aligned in a certain way, but in mm-hmm. terms of, of managing and, and getting a manager or any sort of representation back to the timeline. So I'm teaching at this studio in 2021, right? It's called the prep in New Jersey. Fantastic studio. They're, they're not a dance studio primarily. They're mainly a, um, like a triple threat studio, but like focused on singing and acting and they have some dance. And I was the tap teacher for that whole year. You know, her it's run by this woman named Teresa Piteous. I told her like in the summer, I was like, hey, I don't have an agent. Like, can you help me? And she was like, oh my God, you don't have an agent? So she helps me get this packet together and she sends it out, right? They all said no. And I was like, all right, cool. So there's that. And she was like, they all, I think she submitted to like two agencies and they both said no. And we were trying to like get something else going. And I was like, you know, it's all right. Like, I'll just keep doing my thing and keep pushing. I booked Funny Girl. The day that I booked Funny Girl, I told Teresa, because she was, you know, huge in helping me get prepared for it. Because 
you know, in terms of the acting, like I, I don't have, I have zero acting training. Okay. And she was the one that was really helping me prepare for this audition, um, both with the scene and the song. Uh, I, I was just calling her because I was excited. And I was like, hey, like I booked it. And she was like, oh my God, that's fantastic. Do you want me to call so and so? They had told me that I was gonna, that I booked the ensemble and uh, understudying Eddie. Right. And I didn't want to navigate that without. Yes, any without sort of rep. help. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, sure. And then that's when I signed on with the agent. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, it's been, it's been nice. I had tremendous hope in them when they were just like, you know, because you booked this on your own, we won't take X percentage, we'll take Y. Yes, and I was just like, okay, you know what I mean? Instead of like, they weren't trying to be skeevy and like snake their no. way in and be like, no. you know, give us your money. No. It's just like, no. yeah, you booked it. You take yeah. that and like, we'll yeah. continue on. And they've yeah. been, they've been great. And they've been sending mm -hmm. me out for various things. I booked a couple of things through them. Like they're, they're good. Yeah. I but think I've a done, lot of people. I've gone my whole career without that. And like, I know other yeah. people like my friend, Richard Yoder, he didn't have an agent for years and he's done like five Broadway shows or something like that. Like he's constantly working. Yeah. It, it's interesting that, and very much true that once you book a Broadway show or you book something big enough, an agent or manager is going to rep you. And they're going to be kind and appropriate. And they're going to be trying to lift and help you and help you get more work. And I don't think they're shady. I don't think if, if you're in the right circles, if you're with the top agents and you know what's out there. And unfortunately, it's a closed door gatekeeper kind of space, which is what I've been doing for 20 years, helping people get agents and managers and doing all that. So I'm very much in that in that kind of space. But mm -hmm. You got to be careful because if you just go out on the internet and you just say, I'm trying to find, it's not going to, you're not going to land with the right people. And yeah, it's going to be what you just kind of alluded to, like that they were going to, you know, take some of your money and they don't do that. I mean, if you find, if you get something on your own, you know, that's your money. They are right, only right. going to, and by law, an agent can only take 10% of your gross. And that has to be from the opportunities that they get you in for, you know? Right, so. right. At the, at the top of the industry, again, it's safe and appropriate. It's just that there's yeah. all these bottom feeders that are the ones that people are afraid of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the problem. That's the problem. That can ruin so, your whole perception of everything. Like, that's so terrible. Yeah, there's a lot of that out there. So I think, you know, you have to be educated and, and kind of know what you're doing. But it's amazing that you've done all this. All Like, literally, your body of work is incredible. Hey, how can people um get tickets to any of your shows like can you talk about that a little bit so in case people want to kind of follow you and get to a, one of the performances that you're doing because you said you're doing stuff in the city yeah, right yeah, this yeah. summer yeah how can yeah. they get tickets so all of the little island dates are free free 99 <sighs> so you can just go and just show up and see the show for free and it's good but I, you know, I post about the shows that I'm doing on social media and it's for all the platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok even. I don't really post TikTok. I'm gonna get better with that. It's <laughs> just my name, at John Manzari. You know, try and keep my website up to date with uh, all of those dates. So everything's on there. Okay, cool, 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 cool. All right, so give us, you, you're doing so much. So give us a day in the life, a quick rundown. What's your, what are your typical Ooh. days like? Man, so let's start off by like the base week is eight shows a week right now, which is I, I I really love routine. So that's been really nice to have. So that's the baseline, eight shows a week. So on the days where it's just one show, usually there's an understudy rehearsal on either a Thursday or a Friday. 
so the the specifics of the weekly schedule change and i have to keep those days open until the week of so let's say that um that like this week i have understudy rehearsal on thursday today i'm speaking with you i'm speaking with someone else later then i'll do the show in the evening tomorrow's two shows and then thursday is an understudy rehearsal and then the show in the evening and then friday if i have like a day bef- a day off before the show in the evening i'll try and get in the studio and rehearse for whatever it is i'm like trying to choreograph one project or i'm trying to like find a through line for a set and then usually by the time I fill those two days up with stuff in the daytime. It's I'm on a two show day. So it's busy. It's not bad. It's filled. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to, cause you know, I, I don't want to be complacent. As I said, you know, I've wasted so much time or I, I felt like I've wasted so much time, even though you have a very uh, positive <laughs> outlook on the situation, which is, uh, which is very refreshing. Well, you know what? I feel <laughs> like, I feel like that there's, you know, everyone, everyone's journey is different. You know, and if you had been pushing through all of those times when maybe you didn't feel like it was the vibe for you, you might have burnt yourself out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You that's know? real. Burnout is real. I mean, it's a lot. You have to you have to kind of, you know, there's the whole mental aspect of it too, and the mental health and like all of that that, you know, people talk about and touch on. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you've done an amazing job. I'm just really, really excited to know you and we've become close because our of my son Kurt is also in Funny Girl with you, and was in Forty Second Street as you mentioned. So yeah, yeah. Um, which is great. So we did a short film together. Like Kurt's the homie, <laughs> right? That's right. You guys did. That's right. I forgot about that too. Oh my gosh. So I have to ask you advice. Do you have any last thoughts of advice for somebody who is a young adult? you know, whether they're just coming out of university program or they're planning on coming to the city, what kind of advice would you give them in general? Could be something specific. How do you feel about that? Like if you met someone new on the street or at an audition and they were like, how did you do it? And what can I do? You know, what kind of advice would you give them? Focus on the craft, like really, really focus on the craft. The the people that I'm like, around right now like they're all very good you know it wasn't just like a stroke of luck that got them there like they just you know slipped into this random gig I feel that way about myself like I feel like I just like I was like are you sure you want to hire me like it was that type of situation but everybody else I'm like I see why you're here you know what I mean like you you're really good at what you do if you're if you focus on the craft and you're dedicated to that then if just with like a little push in the in the right direction whether that's like just going to an audition or meeting people or going to a class like that will help but it starts with the craft it starts with the craft always thank you john this has been so great so much really good information and i'm glad that you thank shared you. all the details of the of the younger years that also was very interesting and i think parents are going to appreciate that Man, well, thank you for having me. And, you know, you know, I, I do it just because, again, you got to know that, like, it sucks to feel like you're just floating and just drifting. And it like that really sucks. But, you know, you can find solace in knowing that there's nothing wrong with you. That's just the nature of what this is. So just keep it pushing. So you thank so you for right. talking to me. It was, it's, it's great to be here. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for you and what you do. So thank you. Thank you. 
If you'd like to follow John to keep up with all he is doing, follow him on Instagram at John Manzari or visit his website at johnmanzari.com. And join me every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Need more information? Visit lbctalent.com or lbctalent.thinkific.com. And follow me on socials at lisasolek underscore lbctalent. By sharing our stories, we can help other talented individuals land the career of their dreams.